Good morning, Michael. This is the second edition of The Commute. Uh, we've adjusted the air conditioning in my car, so hopefully it's a little easier to hear. And away we go. Uh, um, Facebook F8 Developers Conference continues today. It's, uh, I believe it was lost in one of the recordings yesterday that this is a big deal. I mean, Facebook affects billions of people and not just their own developers, but no, I think I covered this yesterday. Point being, it continues today and there's already a discussion about is it underwhelming, is it overwhelming? Uh, internally at Tegna, there's some talk that it's not that impressive, and I personally think it is. I think chatbots are definitely the future. I think contextual lurkers in your conversation who will pop in and say, actually, here's inf information about that, or, okay, I'm ready to purchase those tickets for you, or, hey, you had mentioned an interest in this, um, like, a, like your friend on the internet sort of thing, which is essentially me right now. But I think long term, it's a way for, and this gets a little crazy sci-fi, that early stage merging of humans and artificial intelligence, the cyborgization of humans, being able to have this constantly connected friend, like the blue fairy in that crappy movie AI, except also Jude Law was a sex bot in that, so that was a pretty good movie. But some interesting capabilities there. And that brings me to my next point, which is, it's interesting to watch as Facebook pushes hard into these chat platforms, which is so dependent on contextual smart search. And Amazon Alexa is doing the same thing with being able to respond to your questions and deliver you news and information. And Google is nowhere yet with a chat bot. Uh, obviously, they have their own chat platform, which boasts millions of users, just like Google+. I mean, I think Google Chat has more actual active users than Google Plus does, but point being, it's not infeasible. Unfeasible? It's not ridiculous to think that Google could launch a smarter bot type thing tomorrow and use all the data it collects to find what people want to hear. And um, Going back to the Facebook bots of today, The Verge is reporting that the bots are ridiculously slow and up to an hour to get your weather on some cases, which, again, this is a billion times five person platform. Of course, there's going to be hiccups, but it's interesting. Is that spelled hiccups? But... Uh, it's kind of hard to drive and think at the same time, and I'm not a good driver, so again, hopefully we record the audio of my crash and I can read off the license plate of whose fault it was, which is good because I have my own license plate memorized. Facebook <laughs> is having these hiccups with their chatbot, and you would hope that they're using all this information and they're getting so overwhelmed with the chat that they weren't expecting the server load. Now. It's still kind of inexcusable because it's Facebook. They should expect ridiculous server loads at all times. But uh, it goes back to when I first looked at computers, I was interesting thinking like, oh, I bet it could track every time you push the letter K. And they could, but why would anyone bother? Even if it told keyboard manufacturers that we need to increase the width of the rubber banding by 0.2%, I mean, the slowdown of your computer to track every one of those things for the value you get out of it isn't worth it. Now, uh, it wouldn't slow down your computer to track a ridiculous amount of data, so that's what companies do, and that's the rise of big data and why Facebook has so much data to work with. So, 
in every single chat conversation, there is a lot of context that I'm assuming Facebook is tracking. When and where and who you are, what your age is, what your likes are, what you're likely to ask about, how often people check the weather, and then slowly build out these proactive bots who say, hey, normally you wanna know the traffic at 8.45 a.m., here it is already. Hey, normally you wanna know the weather about twice a day. Here it is before you get dressed in the morning and here it is before you drive home at night. And by the way, here's a beer special at the bar you go to twice a week. Maybe you wanna go three times this week. And that sort of stuff has massive value in advertising and marketing and revenue as well as just a good user experience. It's one of those win-wins for Facebook where they can provide a service that actually makes their customers' lives better and drives a shit ton of revenue. Um, so that's my continuing thoughts on Facebook F8 live video. Yeah, go ahead around me. Live video is interesting because Facebook has so clearly made this push for quality and original stuff. It seems like they're about to go the YouTube route and open maker spaces sort of thing. And honestly, maybe skip the middleman altogether and just have news companies broadcast live news. Now, that is a bit of a pickle because I'm not sure how those broadcast rights work. And if you have a reach of 5 billion people, is Facebook the new over the air? Like maybe you don't need to broadcast over the airwaves anymore. And then that sort of gets you around the FCC guidelines. Does that lead to questions of monopoly? And should Facebook video have to follow FCC guidelines? I don't know. But does Facebook analytics and social sharing and tying into your page and including links back to sponsors and buy now and all that eyeball data. Is that better than Nielsen and Rentrax? Yeah, probably. It probably is. It's just like the same reason why so many news companies are willing to jump on Facebook instant articles right away. Facebook should be able to sell it at a higher CPM, although that's yet to be seen. And Facebook should be able to drive a better consumer experience than what's existing. And so should you, honestly. I mean, being beholden to Facebook's rules is slightly different than being beholden to the government's FCC rules. And you would hope that as the algorithm changes for the best of both of you, and you would hope that Facebook doesn't one day flip the switch and say, never mind, we've automated news creation. I mean, it doesn't seem like it would make sense. If they can do a rev share that's beneficial for both parties, why would they bother getting into the news game? Which is actually one of the brighter spots in the news forecast I've seen lately because it seems like you could just so easily take press releases and information from all these markets and aggregate them into a, hey, here's what's happening in your community. And in fact, if the local police station is already doing that, if they were releasing press releases of that information, I mean, that's direct from the source. You don't need any filter of a news organization to give it context, but that is putting a lot of trust in police reporting. Not that you shouldn't, it's just they would also then need to, oh jeez, that guy swerved in and out of traffic. You would then need to encourage them or train them to have better context, unless your contextual awareness is built in to your news serving platform. Um, my other thought, Michael, since you're the only one listening to this, is because my commute is earlier in the morning, for you because you're on the west coast i wonder if you could sort of respond and not that your thoughts are going to be related to this but sort of thoughts on media and thoughts on 
you know, the future of publishing and is the studio system the best system? And I don't know if you want to talk about any of that, but I don't know, just a thought. I have a half-finished medium draft explaining why the studio system sort of is this golden ring, this lifestyle that all these people move to LA chasing, thinking, well, I just want to write on a show. Well, I just want to write on my own show. Well, I just want to be EP of a show. Well, I just want total creative control of my show. And it's never really possible to have that much control. I mean, even Lauren Michaels sometimes has to listen to what the sponsors have to say, you know? So I'm curious to see if this was always our problem at Funny or Die, working with YouTubers and Vine stars, we would say simple things like, well, here's the sketch idea we think is funny. And they would be so unwilling to take direction, kind of for good reason, because if they can do their own thing and make their own money and have all the creative control, why would you want to come do it with a much more established brand? And Funny or Die is not NBC or Warner Brothers. It's just a fun internet startup. So how do you convince this group of youngins who can write, direct, and edit on their own that they're better off falling under a studio system. Obviously, the studio has marketing capabilities, but again, that ties back to the Facebook thing. If these people can learn how to market themselves and kickstart enough money to run billboards and TV commercials, they really don't need a studio in my mind. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But this is my left about to pull into the office, so this is a pretty good commute so far. Um, I really like this idea. I think it... I like content creation. Again, I might have mentioned in the first episode, the key is going to be filtering out all the crap. Do you gen then filter out the highlights from each episode to make sure you sound smart? Or do you leave it raw and unedited and you can hear my swerving in and out of traffic? No, that wasn't me. That was someone else. Um, anyways, content is key. Uh, was there something else about Facebook live video VR? I don't get VR. They're making this this push out of meat space, which I think is a long-term play. I think it's very cool and there's a lot to do there. There's just so much to do there. No one's figured out what's the best thing to do there. So on that note, no one's figured out what the best thing to do anywhere is, but we're all trying. Talking monkeys on a space rock. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.